Have you ever felt like the outsider, the other, the one left out, even worse, the bullied or picked on one? It can begin as early as the playground, intentional exclusion, circles tightening up to keep you out as you approach, groups keeping focus on you so that the gaze does not turn to them. For we're a fickle people, and any sign of difference becomes a weapon that can be wielded on any whim. The Samaritan woman, who was given the name of Photonai by the Eastern Orthodox tradition, is one such person. She's the opposite of Nicodemus in so many ways of whom Jeremy spoke last week. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. Most likely unschooled, but not necessarily uneducated, because she engages with Jesus um, over theological questions without any hesitation. Unlike Nicodemus, she greets Jesus in the midday sun, rather than the cover of night. Not that this is intentional on her part, for she has to go draw water. And there he is, waiting for her to arrive. So many sermons on this remarkable woman focus on the possibility of her sin, of her shame, of her badness of her five marriages, rather than who and what she is. Do all those misogynistic sermons believe she would be alive at that time if she had been a serial adulterer like so many of them have preached that she was? Let's see Photonai as she is, as maybe Jesus saw her, as maybe she saw herself. Let's explore the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and anyone else in the New Testament through the experience, the words, and the heart of Photonai. Sometimes I feel like all I do is haul water. Two times a day at least, I have to go to Jacob's well and draw water with my clay pot and long rope to reach the cool water from the depths of the earth. Each day I carry the clay pot back up the dusty path to our home and bring it inside. I need it for making bread, for cooking, to make wine, to water the animals in the garden, for cleaning, and of course to drink. It's hot when I go for the water. I used to go in the cool of the morning and the cool of night, but I don't anymore, because that's when everybody else goes. It's one of the few times we women get to walk out on our own, out of the home not only to draw water, but to visit and to support one another while we work each day. I was a good wife. I worked hard alongside my husbands, but I could not give them the child they wanted. It broke my heart over and over and over again. After yet another husband divorced me because we could not have the child they wanted, I moved in with a man that I now share a home with. No one else would have me. People don't understand in 
And even if they did, they seem to twist what is. You see, women can't survive in our culture. I cannot work outside of the home. I have no brother or son or father to shelter me. And so I have to marry to survive. And failing that, find a man to live with. I do not want to think what I would have been reduced to if he hadn't taken me in. After this, the village became so mean, accusing me of being cursed and sinful, that I now choose to go to the well when no one else is there. I'm an outsider. I have no women friends to talk with that befriend me. Instead, I'm the object of their gossip. They're wagging tongues and shaking heads. And worse still are the rude comments that men mutter under their breath as they walk by me. It's a day, much like any other, that I go to Jacob's well to draw the water. Instead of being alone as usual, there's this young man sitting at the well who looks very worn out. I can also tell he's a foreigner, a Jewish man, and this causes me to pause. Jews and Samaritans do not get along very well. In fact, we avoid each other as much as possible. The Jews think we're dirty, unclean, because our forebears intermarried during the occupation. We also differ on where we think is the proper place to worship God. The Jews say Jerusalem, but we believe that it is Mount Gerizim. I am shocked when this person asks me for a drink of water. I'm so surprised that I actually answer him back. I've not talked to another man other than my partner for so long. Women and men don't talk to one another unless they're related or unless they're in the home of a close relation. It's pretty unthinkable that a man and a woman unknown to each other would engage in talk in public. If my reputation wasn't tainted before, it certainly is now. In my surprise, I ask him, how is it that you, a Jew, a man, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Not only is it unheard of that men and women talk in public, a Jewish man to address me, a Samaritan woman for a drink of water, he would have to drink from my clay pot. And if he does, he will be considered unclean and then have to travel all the way to Jerusalem to go through the purification rites to be considered clean all over again. All of this for a drink of water from me that he could go into town for. He then says something really confusing about if I knew who I was talking to, he would give me living water. In my confusion at this comment, I stated the obvious, the well is really deep and he had no way of retrieving any water from the well. I was wondering at this man and in a moment of bravery, I asked him if he thought he was greater than Jacob, who gave us this well, for it is no small thing to dig a well in this land. I mean, sir, who do you think you are? The man answered that if anyone drank this water from Jacob's well, well, they would be thirsty again. 
But if anyone drank the water that he gives, they would never be thirsty again. That it's like a spring gushing up of eternal life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Never to have to gather my rope and clay pot again and walk past all the houses with all the eyes looking out the windows as I trudge down to get water in the heat of the day all by myself. I want this new kind of water. I want to be saved from the drudgery of hauling the well water, never to thirst again. This is incredible. And then, just after he shared this wonderful news with me, he tells me to go and bring my husband. Here it is. In the midst of this offer that is really too good to be true, This man will surely shun me and have nothing more to do with me when he knows my current living arrangement. I have a fleeting thought to lie to him to avoid the embarrassment, but as I look up and I look in his eyes, there's a kindness, a gentleness that I rarely receive when anyone looks at me. I square my shoulders and I state honestly, I have no husband. What happens next brings tears to my eyes. Instead of turning around and walking off in disgust, instead of throwing rocks at me, he nods and acknowledges that I have told the truth, that I have had five husbands and that the one I live with now is not my husband. It's as if he can see inside me, see inside my mind and my heart for what I truly am, not just what I appear to be on the outside. He speaks without any judgment. I think he must be a prophet. Maybe he's that prophet I've been hearing so much about, Jesus. In my excitement of speaking with a prophet, and who knows if I will ever meet a prophet again, I ask him a really important question that has plagued generations of religious leaders, Samaritan and Jew. Is the proper place to worship on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem? Instead of naming either place, the prophet tells me that God now wants us to worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter where we worship, and that God actually seeks those right now who want to worship in this new way. This triggers a memory in me about a Messiah who is to be called Christ, who will come and share this and so much more with all of us. In the midst of this memory, the prophet quietly says, I am. This has to be a dream. This man could not have just said he is the long-awaited Messiah. I feel as if my world has been turned upside down. I have met and am speaking to the Messiah, the Christ who is to save this world. He's talking with me. I feel as if my soul will burst with this good news. As I revel in this amazing announcement, A group of men who seem to know and be with this Christ walk up to the well from the town. They do not ask the obvious question of why the Messiah is talking to me, but you can see the surprise and suspicion in their eyes. 
unlike the eyes of their leader. Before they can say anything or stop me, I leave my rope and pot by the well, and I run to the city that these men have just left. I don't care if no one will listen to me or believe me, but I must share this good news that the Savior has shared with me, that he brings good news to anyone who will listen. I go from doorway to doorway in the midday sun, calling out names of people who I've known my entire life. People who have ceased talking with me a long time ago. But it doesn't matter anymore, for I have incredible news to share with them. As people gather outside, their faces shocked, open-mouthed, gaping, as I tell the whole village, come, see a man who told me everything I have done. I don't add the words and still talked to me, but I'm pretty sure other th- others are thinking of it. I wonder aloud, can he really be the Messiah? It seems too good to be true. More and more people come and listen to my words. And I can feel the excitement grow as they hear what the prophet said to me about my own life. Perhaps they too will hear the words of wonder and knowledge. The air is filled with hope and expectation as we begin to walk back to the well. These people believe me, and as a result, believe in Jesus. What a day! Once back at the well, some of the villagers approach Jesus and ask him to stay with us that we all might learn more. And he does. Jesus and the disciples stay with us for two days, teaching and sharing. So many people believed in him as he spoke words of truth and spirit to them. They saw firsthand that he was indeed the savior of the world, not just of the Jews, not just of the Samaritans, but of the whole world. In this lesson from Photonai's perspective, We have heard how Jesus disregards the accepted social mores of his time and reached out to a woman that shocked his disciples and an entire village. You would think by now that the disciples would have learned that Jesus will use the seemingly unusable, see the seemingly unseeable people to share the good news. Jesus and Photonai are both seen. This is an encounter of mutual reciprocity. Photonai gradually sees Jesus, first as an unknown man, then she addresses him as sir, then as prophet, and finally as savior. She gradually sees him better than the disciples and Nicodemus. Perhaps in being seen, Jesus so full, perhaps in being seen by Jesus so fully and so kindly and with such respect and love, her own societal fears fall at the wayside and she is free to hear and take in the good news that Jesus has come to share. Love for her and for the entire world. She ends up being one of the first apostles, evangelizing her whole village because Jesus saw her and acted on that scene, and Photonai saw and acted 
in response. Jesus sees all of us as we truly are and deeply loves us. Out of this love, he asks us to see each other and love each other. Not the labels that our society gives everyone, but the truth that resides in each heart of each person that is on this earth. Minister and activist William Sloan Coffin Jr. said, There are those who prefer certainty to truth. Those in church who put the purity of dogma ahead of the integrity of love. And what a distinction of the gospel it is to have limited sympathies and unlimited certainties when the very reverse, to have limited certainties but unlimited sympathies, is not only more tolerant but is far more Christian. For who has known the mind of God? Romans 11.34. And didn't Paul also insist that if we fail in love, we fail in all other things? Let us not fail. Let us love. May we go into the world with unlimited sympathies that proclaim good news to all.